Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 121 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, I am so delighted to welcome one of the grand doyens of ADHD to our podcast today. Terry Matlin is an internationally recognized expert on ADHD in women. She is a psychotherapist, author, consultant, and coach. She's also the author of the award-winning book, The Queen of Distraction, and Survival Tips for Women with ADHD. Terry is the founder of ADDConsults.com, an international online resource serving women with ADHD, and QueensofDistraction.com, an online coaching program also for women with ADHD. With over 25 years of experience helping women with ADHD, Terry is a sought-after presenter at conferences, webinars, and interviews. She has written hundreds of articles for various publications, including Attitude Magazine, Attention Magazine, Healthline.com, and more. She has also served for many years on the board of directors of ADA, Attention Deficit Disorder Association, and is an immediate past coordinator of the East Oakland County CHAD, Children and Adults with ADHD, chapter in Michigan. Terry has been interviewed by NPR, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, Time Magazine, Glamour Magazine, and now ADHD for Smartass Women. Welcome, Terry. Did I get all that right? You did great, Tracy. Thank you so much for inviting me on your wonderful show. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Well, I have to tell you that I read your bio, which then prompted me to pull out my copy of The Queen of Distraction, one of the first books I bought when I was diagnosed with ADHD. And there on the first page was my chicken scratched adka.com, you know, the coaching organization. Sure. And it suddenly connected with me that you are the reason that I got my ADHD coaching certification from ADCA. So when I first had the thought that maybe I should learn more about ADHD, 
I decided that I was going to build my knowledge through an organization that trains ADHD coaches. I had no interest in becoming a coach. It's just, you know, I'm a lifelong learner and I wanted to learn. So I reached out to you and I asked you who you'd recommend and you were so kind to get back to me and suggest ADCA. So I just wanted to thank you so much for that. And I did not connect that until I started preparing and reading your bio. That is hilarious. I don't remember that connection, but I'm so glad it was helpful because we need people like you with great training. Well, thank you. So Terry and I were talking and we were trying to decide, what are we going to chat about today? And one of Terry's suggestions was that we could discuss hypersensitivities in women with ADHD. And when I heard that, I was like, bingo, because this is something that there's little research on, so it's not discussed much. But Terry has so much working knowledge with women uh, with ADHD that she brings a wealth of knowledge to this subject. So I can't wait to discuss this, but before we go there, Terry, I hope you'll indulge me. I always start out by asking my guests about their own ADHD story. Do you mind sharing with us yours? I would be glad to. And it's interesting because it fits in with the topic today of hypersensitivities and ADHD because I'll tell you, when I was in my early 40s, there was always something off with me. And then, you know, you talk to any woman or man with ADHD and there's all these questions, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? What's, you know, all that sort of thing. And I had the same experiences, but I'm going to really pinpoint what exactly happened to me that got me into the whole ADHD, my search for what's going on here. But I do have to sidestep a little bit earlier before this happened to me in that like many men and women, who have been identified as having ADHD later, maybe a little bit later in life because of their own children being diagnosed. My youngest daughter, and it's a long story I won't get into, was diagnosed with ADHD, but not in the typical way in that she was born with ADHD and she was having trouble in school and all that. She actually had an illness that caused ADHD as part of her recovery. So it wasn't so much that in that, although I was learning a lot about ADHD and how to help her, like, what can I do? And in those days, this is the late 1980s, believe it or not, to many of your younger listeners, there weren't a lot of books written about kids in ADHD, let alone adults with ADHD back then. So anyway, I, I searched and I found some information. But fast forward, I was on the telephone. And I couldn't hear the person on the other end. I have a real issue with sensory problems having to do with audio. So in other words, if someone is talking to me and I can't see their lips, I can't hear what they're saying. I get so distracted. So being on the telephone has always been a nightmare for me. I never understood why. And it was just getting worse. Once children came into my life, there was more noise in the house, the dogs, the kids and all that. I just avoided being on the phone. So I actually lost friends because I didn't think to pick up the phone to call them because it was painful. So I ended up going to, uh, I guess it was just, an, I don't think it was even an ENT. It was an audiologist, perhaps. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Hearing doctor. <laughs> Let's just make it simple. And I told him the story. I said, I can't talk on the phone. There must be something wrong with my hearing. So we did the whole workup and we did the hearing test. And he said, for someone your age, yeah, that made me feel really good. For someone your age, you have exceptional hearing. So it's not that. 
So that got me to thinking, what is it? What is it that I can't hear on the phone? So I did more exploring and I found a book on adult ADHD. There was only one out at the time. I believe it was written by Dr. Lynn Weiss and it was more of a clinical book. So I read it and I started identifying people in the book as, oh yeah, that sounds like this relative. That sounds like that relative. Oh, it's all making sense in my family, uh, my family history. Until I got to a part, and I can't remember, where I began to think, wait a minute, that sounds like me. So it took me a while to get to the uh, point of, gee, could I have ADHD? Nah, I, I've got two college degrees. I, you know, I'm doing okay. I struggle, but uh, I'm getting by. But then it just kept getting worse as my life got more complicated with children and this one child, especially who had these uh, these special needs. But it finally got to the point where, okay, I got to figure this out. Maybe it is ADHD. So I made an appointment with a psychologist in my area who happened to be and happens to be an expert in the field of adult ADHD. So I made the appointment, did the whole thing, the workup, and he said, yeah, you have ADHD. And I was floored. Even though I had some suspicion for a lot of us who go through this, we may have a suspicion, but until you get it in writing or some uh, expert telling you this is what's been creating all these challenges for you, it can come as a wallop to your to your brain, to your self-esteem, to to everything. So basically, you know, in some ways it came from my daughter trying to learn how to help her until I was on the telephone and then there you go. So I became one of um, millions of women who have ADHD. Unfortunately, the majority of us have not been evaluated or diagnosed, let alone treated. That's my story. So, Terry, what made you pick up that book, Adult ADHD? Like, why did you even consider, like, how did you even consider it might be ADHD? Well, that's what I find so interesting because when I picked up the book, I wasn't thinking about me having ADHD. I just happened to see it. I was focusing on my daughter. What can I do? What's threat? And then, like I said, there were so few books. Few people in those days were writing about this. In my training as a psychotherapist, clinical social work, we weren't taught anything about ADHD. What little I knew was little boys getting in trouble in school. So how I picked up that book is still a mystery. I just <laughs> One of the few books on the shelves in the bookstore, I grabbed it. It was sent from above. Yeah. So what changed once you were diagnosed? It's an interesting question. What changed is not always the story that I hear from the hundreds and hundreds of women I've worked with over the years. Most of the women I've talked to have said to me, I got depressed. I felt like I lost all these, especially women who are oh, you know, middle-aged and up, 30s, 40s, 50s, the older the more I hear this. I lost all those years to ADHD. I didn't know. I thought I was stupid. I thought I was incompetent. I thought I had a character flaw. For me, and I don't know if it had to do with my background in being a therapist, for me, it was a relief. It was such a relief that, oh, okay, now it all makes sense. And now I know what I need, kind of, I didn't know at the beginning, but <laughs> finally found my way, what I needed to do to get things back on track and to make my life better, my family's life better. And it also was a complete U-turn for what I decided to do professionally. When I realized how much better I felt once I had this diagnosis, I thought, hmm, 
if that can work for me, it can help for other people. And that's what turned my life around professionally in wanting to help other. At that point, I was working with men and women, but then I began focusing specifically with women uh, and moms. So for me, it was often, compared to the women I've worked with, a very different experience. Yeah. I would have to say that I had the same experience that you did. It's just after so many decades of always wondering, why do I do this? You know, just finally having that answer, it was like the skies opened up. Yeah. So what happened with your hearing then once you were diagnosed? (laughs) I got to know about the hearing. I believe if I remember correctly, because it's been a while now, that that's when I decided, okay, it's not my hearing. The ENT, whoever it was, had no explanation. I realized this had to be something else. And with my reading on ADHD and the children and trying to help my daughter, I thought, okay. Then I read that book on adults. Could it be because I have so many symptoms similar to what I read in this book, similar to what my daughter has? That's when the light bulb went off. That phone call, that experience with the phone, that's what woke me up. And that's when I went to the psychologist. So it really came from two different things, trying to help my daughter, reading those books, having the experience with the phone. Then I became more aware of my environment and I began to think about it more. Okay, it seems like I have problems with audio. If people walk away while they're talking and I can't connect with them, I can't hear them. I lose it. If they talk too fast, I can't catch on. I can't. So I started to analyze, and that's kind of my personality. I analyze. Mm-hmm. And then I began to expand on that. Gee, you know, I realize now that when I'm in the living room, how is it that I can hear the click, click, click of the refrigerator going on and <laughs> off, but nobody else can? And not only that, why does it disturb me? Why does it annoy me when nobody else is annoyed? So I started thinking about that, and then I expanded on that. And that's when, after I got diagnosed, more and more books started coming onto the market. They all seemed to happen at once. So it was Kate Kelly and Peggy Raimondo's, their book, You Mean I'm Not Lazy, Stupid, or Crazy, that came out shortly after this whole thing. I read that. I devoured that book. And then Sari Solden, who really I consider my mentor, her book in 1995, Women with Attention Deficit Disorder, that came out. Hallowell Frady's book, Driven to Distraction. I devoured that book. And then all the pieces started to come together. That's me. That's me. And of course, the, the formal diagnosis. So it completely changed my life for the better. It completely gave you a sense of purpose, right? <laughs> well, yeah. It's In many ways, I became a better, a better mother to my child with all these difficulties. I understood myself better. I forgave myself. I'm not this, I'm not that. This is a neurobiological, well, some people call it a disorder. Some people call it a condition. Some people call it a gift. It's not what I would call it. I don't call ADHD. There's certain parts of having ADHD that I wouldn't let go of. But from the majority of women I work with, they would rather not have ADHD. (laughs) And they'd rather not have that gift. Right. You know, you can, you can shove that gift. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Shove it. So, you know, and we don't have the studies to show like the creativity part, the thinking outside the box. We don't have the research to prove that people with ADHD are gifted in that area, that they're more creative. I see it. Mm -hmm. I see it. But what comes first? The creativity, the ADHD combination? We don't know. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, that was a wonderful story. So thank you for sharing it, at least with me, because I was really curious. And I know our listeners are too. I think that that's one of their favorite parts because then they can relate, right? Oh, that sounds like me or that maybe that part doesn't, but this other part does. So you talked about your hearing, which I think is the perfect segue of what we want to talk about today, which is hypersensitivities in ADHD women. Can we start with what does that even mean? There isn't a lot written, as you mentioned earlier, about hypersensitivities. It's something that I am so passionate about because personally, you know, my hypersensitivities go way beyond audio, Hmm. but we're talking about the different senses that all of us have. We have the sense of sound. We have seeing, visual. We have smell, uh, olfactory. We have the sense of taste. We have touch, tactile. There's other senses that I don't get into because that becomes a little out of my realm, but one of them would be like vestibular, which is having a sense of where you are in space, I believe, so that you don't fall when, you, you know, when you're walking, that type of thing. So I really focus on the main senses that we all are familiar with. And I can give you some examples if you want to jump into that of what I hear and what I experience myself in these different senses where a lot of women with ADHD have a terrible time but they don't talk about it because they're not aware. So I'm so glad that you agreed to talk about this topic because it it needs awareness in a big, big way. So for instance, if we talk about noise, so I mentioned the whole thing with with the phone, but I've talked to so many women who say, I work in an office and when I hear people click their pen, I go out of my mind. The clicking of a pen from someone in the next, at the next desk or whatever drives them crazy. Mouth noises is another big one, which is a (laughs) funny word, but a lot of people say, I cannot tolerate hearing people chew their food or Mm -hmm. chew their gum or make noises, uh, whatever. Maybe they have an oral tick. That's something that, of course, you know, they can't help. But those are just examples of mouth noises, of, of just hearing kinds of things. Another biggie that I hear, and I have this problem, is the TikTok. If you have a, if you're unfortunate enough to have a clock that TikToks that can make people go mad, can go crazy. Those are, those are just some examples. Or going to a concert that's too loud. Other people seem to be really enjoying the loud rock show, but a lot of women or men too, with these hypersensitivities to noise, are tremendous pain. Tremendous, tremendous pain. So is it physical pain? Yeah, it's not perceived. It's it's physical. Now, this is where it gets a little complicated. Maybe we should talk about it later because there's other so-called disorders that are very specific to sensory issues. Mm-hmm. And one of them is sensory, uh, oh gosh, sensory, oh my goodness. Processing? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Disorder? Sensor, yeah. Now, and, and in my reading lately, I just realized there's another one that I had never heard about called sensory processing sensitivity, which apparently different from sensory processing disorder in that they call it a trait. It's not a biological, neurological thing. It's a trait. I'm going to learn more about that because I'd never heard of that before. And then we have just the um, highly sensitive person. We have all these different, you know, just people who are sensitive to their environment doesn't necessarily mean they have sensory processing disorder. So there's a lot we don't know, a lot that's not been written about, let alone studied in a research lab or whatever, but it's enough to make people really, um, it's painful. I'm going to just come right down to it and say, people are in pain. 
So hearing is just one of the things. We can get into the sense of smell. But I'm going to step back for just a second and give you another personal example of what I went through before I understood any of this. I used to go into a mall and have panic attacks. Mm. I couldn't figure out what is it about a mall that gave me a panic attack until I read a book called, oh boy, let's see. Let me make sure I got the name of this book right. I know I wrote it down for you. Um, Give me a second. Okay, the name of the book is Too Loud, Too Bright, Too Fast, Too Tight. What to Do If You Are Sensory Defensive in an Overstimulating World. Have you heard of that book? I have. Okay, by Sharon Heller. So I read that book and then it all, the sensory stuff fell into place for me. That this is something that's real. It's not perceived. It's not just being a sensitive, you know, poor little you kind of person. It's a real thing. So... Terry, what would happen to you when you would walk into this mall? Like, what were you thinking? What were you seeing? What? All right. So, and this also happens, and just so you know, and I think it's important for your listeners, it also happened to me in large grocery stores where there were a lot of people, a lot of noise. If you go into a mall or a, a large grocery store, that mu- horrible music is piped <laughs> in. You hear kids screaming, I want this, I want that, and then visual. So if you think about it, all, almost all of your senses are coming into play if you're hypersensitive, even if you're not. So you're seeing people walking towards you. You're seeing people walking away. You're seeing all these uh, storefronts in a mall with all these things to look at. You're walking by the candle store, the soap store, and you're smelling the different fragrances. You go into a big mall um, department store and they're trying to spray you with, with perfume. So for me, I didn't really break it down like I'm breaking it down now because I didn't know. All I knew was I feel overwhelmed and I don't know why. It's too much for me. I'm shutting down. It's making me anxious. That was the very first perception. And it was for years, like my whole adult life. And do you think that your ADHD played a role in that because we notice so much, right? So it's it's even more heightened. So I think the word attention deficit disorder is not a correct name for this. We we are the opposite. We we pick up too much. We can't filter it out and make sense of it. Our brain doesn't make sense of it. We don't know where to look first. So it's not a deficit. It's an overload. And I think Dr. Hallowell, Ned Hallowell, talks about it that way, too, is uh, they, need, they need a new name for this. So, yeah, I was just clobbered with sensory uh, things, sensory experiences that I couldn't filter them out or just try and not think about it. They were all hitting me at the same time. So there was no deficit there by any means. The only deficit I had was being able to push it away. And there's something it sounds like with you where all of this is heightened. So it's not, I mean, obviously I could walk, although that's a bad example because that, I kind of feel like that too in big box stores. It's why I hate going into a big box store. You don't even know where to look, right? There's so many things coming at you, but it never for me progresses to the point where I have panic attacks or frankly, I even have to leave. I just feel overwhelmed. How are you in the grocery store when you go grocery shopping? What's that like for you? Well, I, I don't do a lot of it. 
I'm lucky enough that my husband does it. I prefer to go into, you know, they tend to be more expensive, but little more boutique kind of grocery stores rather than out here, we have something called a Safeway or a Lucky's or I will not even go there, but I'll go to Costco. I don't have a problem at Costco. There's less there at Costco, even though it's really big, Mm -hmm. you know, everything's kind of it's not all the colors and it's not garish design. And for me, it's aesthetics are so important, which Mm -hmm. is weird. But if it's aesthetically pleasing to me, it doesn't matter how big it is. That's weird, isn't it? No, it's interesting. But I I think that the key word here for you is that there's not a lot going on. There's not a lot Mm. of people. The the aisles aren't stuffed. Like when you go to a regular, regular big grocery store, you just go down the cereal lane Mm -hmm. and and you're bombarded with, and I'm very visual. I'm also an artist and a musician. So these senses are maybe a little too fine-tuned for me as a woman with ADHD. It can work for you and it can work against you. So just walking down the aisle in the grocery store of all these boxes of cereals, I get dizzy. Where do your eyes even go? So Costco might make sense for someone like you who maybe you do have the sensitivity, but you have figured a way around it. You avoid it because this Costco kind of store or small boutique stores work better for you. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering, you got me thinking. Definitely. So, okay. So this is the one that I've, I've wondered about. So you can be a super taster. Can you, is that a hypersensitivity? You mean being very sensitive to different flavors or that you like different flavors? I'm just thinking about a friend of mine who is so sensitive about smell Mm -hmm. and so sensitive about taste. You know, she tastes things that I would never taste. Mm -hmm. Go here, she's a sommelier, right? So she totally took those traits or whatever and made them work for her. And so Uh. as you're sitting here talking about, like you just said that you are a musician and you're an artist. So it's those heightened senses that also are part of your gifts, right? Yeah, that makes really good sense. I never thought of it too much that way, but I am very sensitive to taste. Mm-hmm. I, I do not, and my daughter with ADHD and all, all the other things that she's dealing with, we tend to go more towards flavors that are simple. We don't like a lot of spices, although she really kind of likes hot hot sauces, which surprises me. That's fairly new for her, but I, I'm, I do, and I can pick up on flavors like nobody's business. I may not be able to identify them, but I have a very simple palate. So I get overwhelmed easily in, I probably would say all of my senses Mm -hmm. overwhelmed easily, maybe like your friend and my daughter. And you also, and I don't know, this is another broad topic for maybe a different session, but you see this with autism. In autism, you see a lot of hypersensitivities. And you see a lot of people who really need those headphones to block out all the noise that agitates them. So there is some similarities between the ADHD hypersensitivities and what you see in autism. That is so interesting. Do you find, I I think you're saying this because it sounds like for you, it's not just one thing, it's almost everything. And when you're just hypersensitive. And I don't mean that in a negative way, because obviously, you know, people make livings on their hypersensitivities. But I'm wondering, do you see women who have hypersensitivities? Is it typically more than just one or two? It's both. I see some who who have said only certain things that are audio. 
mm. really, really give me a problem. I don't have problems with taste and having to, like a lot, some, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've seen a lot of women who have said, <clears throat> I can't stand when food touches. You know, you see that a lot in kids. I'm not sure what that's about in children. And I'm not talking about ADD kids. I'm talking about any kid. But in ADD adults, I see this where I don't like foods touching. I don't like certain textures of food. So it's both. I see some people who just have a few of these sensitivities. I would say probably, well, I can't say the majority as I think about this. And other women like me who just get overwhelmed with the big picture. Just like going into a mall. It's the sound. It's the visual. It's the smell. It's the whole thing. For me, because I am so sensitive, that puts me into a panic. It doesn't anymore. Now that's, that's I want to give people hope because... Now that I have identified what it is about going into these kinds of stores and malls, now that I know it doesn't upset me as much. It's really interesting. Well, and it makes perfect sense because now you know you have you know why, so you know how to control it, right? I control it and I prepare myself. So I'll yeah. say to myself, okay, I'm, I have to buy, God darn it, I have to go to the mall, <laughs> buy a present. I do most of my shopping online now, but not just because of COVID. It's just that's my comfort zone. And that's what I say to women. Why do you put yourselves in these situations of pain and anxiety when there are other workarounds? Just like with you in, in Costco and the smaller stores, that's one of the suggestions I make. Go to your, it, it is more expensive, unfortunately, but if it's causing you such pain to go to a regular box or grocery store, don't. And you need to work hard at re, well, how would I put this? Reestablishing what is right and what is okay to not be right. What is right for you might be different than what is right for someone else. And we have a really tough time with that because we are always, not always, we are very frequently judging ourselves and comparing ourselves to other women who don't have ADHD, which is the majority of our population. And that's where this whole thing can fall apart. I should be able to go grocery shopping. I should be able to go to a concert and enjoy it. I should be able to get on a boat, but no, I get seasick. Those kinds of things are very common with, with people who have ADHD and hypersensitivities, boat rides, getting car sick, uh, all those really? kinds. Of, oh, yeah. So is that part of vestibular sensitivity? I think so. Those are the years I'm not that familiar with. I just know from mm. talking to all these women, yes, it's very commonly seen. Air sickness, car sickness. I won't go on a boat for anything. Uh, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, this really takes a, it takes a big bite out of your life. That's why it's so important to understand. How many women have you heard? Say, as soon as I get home from the office, I whip off my bra. <laughs> and I take off my shoes and I have to be barefoot. And then here's what's interesting to me. Then you have the opposite, like my daughter. My daughter doesn't like, and same with me, I can't tolerate being barefoot because I can't stand the sensation of my feet against the floor. Mm. I can't stand walking on the beach. I can't stand walking into a lake. So it can go the other way. It's very, very interesting. So, so Terry, this is probably TMI, which I'm telling to I don't know how many people, but I am the opposite on the bra. I literally gave birth to both of my kids with a bra on. <laughs> and I'm talking about locked and loaded, underwire, oh. 
everything. And I remember both times the nurses were like, really? And I'm like, look, I have no control on what's going on, you know, on down there, but I'm going to control what's going on up here. All right, so tell me more. I'm curious now. You, I've not heard this story before. So tell me, is it, is it because of feeling comfortable in a tactile way or, or it's, it, what? It's that they're not like flying around all over the place. They're like, you know, in control. And I've always been a little bit, you know, big breasted. I'm a small person, but I've always had big boobs. And so it just kind of keeps them in control. I hate the feeling. And my daughter, who's 22, and she was home, you know, during a lot of COVID before she mm. moved back to New York. And she would just, you know, I don't know, five o'clock, six o'clock, and she'd take her bra off and she'd be walking around in her sweatsuit. And I'm just like, can you put a bra on, please? (laughs) No, it's uncomfortable. The the waddling up up north. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yes, we are all just so, we all have these specificities, right? So, but, but you see, you, but it's interesting to me because you can see it go from one extreme where women have to whip off that bra mm-hmm. to the opposite where, like with me with shoes, a lot of women take off their shoes as soon as they get in the house. For me, that's torture. That's torture. Don't take my shoes off. Yeah. So I'm half Japanese. And so my father's family always took their shoes off before they went into a home. And I'm 5'2 on a good day, so I'm not a tall woman. And I'd be all dressed up and I'd have to take my shoes off, you know, in order to go into a home. And Uh. it has been, it has just irritated me from, you know, the time I was little. Um, And so my family, my mom's German, but still she adopted because, you know, Germans, she's very, you know, concerned about cleanliness and all of that. So they adopted this, you know, in our home. And to this day, every time I have to go there, I complain because I have to take my shoes off. So I'm with you. (laughs) All right. So tell me more about what, what bothers you when you have to take your shoes off. Um, oh, you're going to laugh at me because I just sound like such a twit. No. See, I'm not. See, now, <laughs> now let's have a little therapy session here. <laughs> well, first of all, I don't want to. OK, with my family's home. Yes, the, the, the floor is always spotless. So that's not a concern. But going into other people's homes, I don't want to step on their dirty floor. Mm-hmm. Um, the floor, if it's stone or even if it's wood, sometimes it can be really cold. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, that's and a it ruins my outfit. I told you I'm five two on a good day. And so I'll usually have heels on under pants and then I've got to drag my pants all over the floor. So I don't know if those are the things you were looking for. So the only thing that I would say would be a sensory thing possibly for you would be when you mentioned it could be a tile floor, it could be a wood floor, and that might cause some people to feel uncomfortable. But the rest of it, I don't think is a sensory thing. No. So what makes it uncomfortable for you? Oh, gosh, I like the way that shoes, and they have to be, of course, a certain kind of shoe, mm-hmm. which I could talk an hour about, but it ha- it comforts me to confine my feet in a structure. Mm. That's one thing. But if I'm outside, like I don't like the sensation of grass on my bare feet. It drives me up a wall. Ever since I was a child, I would not walk on grass. I wouldn't walk on the beach. I wouldn't go to the beach. I'd, say, I'm not, I'd sit in the car before I'd have to walk on sand. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you see a lot of kids where they like certain kind of clothes, adults too. So that, again, can go both ways. For me, feeling shoes on my feet make me feel calmer. For a lot of people I see, they can't, and I'll talk about myself if it's not too obnoxious for you, but I need to wear 
loose clothes. If I have to, and I see this in my daughter as well, if I wear anything that is too binding, I go out of my mind. Mm. So being a professional, being out and doing conferences, I have to be uncomfortable during those times. But if I'm home and no one can see me, let me be perfectly honest. I am wearing clothes that are at least a size too big on me. I don't want to feel anything around my waist. Same thing, I'm always wearing shoes and cotton. I have to wear cotton. I can't wear wool. I can't wear a lot of the synthetic kinds of things that are too clingy. I cannot stand wearing a bathing suit. So my poor kids, when they were growing up and we went to Florida and they wanted mom to go swimming, what do you think I did? I put, put on, on. I put a t-shirt and a bra and a bra <laughs> <laughs> and shorts, my running shorts. I'm a runner and I jumped in the pool because I can't stand clingy, tight clothes. Now you look at uh, women's fashions and the happiest time of my life was in the 1980s when Annie Hall's, <laughs> when that, that kind of look was fashionable, which was the baggy look. Uh, a lot of it was sort of like menswear, you know, yeah. it was just very un, just, yeah. You know, Androgynous. Yeah. And, and loose fitting and cotton and comfortable. That was the whole mm-hmm. thing. I was in my glory, but that only lasted a couple <laughs> years. I will tell you that just last night I was looking, cause I'm not out shopping a lot with COVID. So I'm still being cautious about a lot of things online. I was looking for some new slacks and the new style. I'm not, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to this, but nothing works for me. A lot of the slacks for women are cut too tight for me. They go up the ankle. I happen to be very tall. So for a tall woman with my build, I look ridiculous wearing capris <laughs> or ankles or what do they call the real uh, the skinny pant legs? Yeah, I look ridiculous. So and on top of that is the feel, the sensation of these clothes that are just too tight. So like, I'll tell you what I'm wearing right now. You want to know? I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm wearing a, pa- a pair of, these are men's cotton chinos, I guess, with an elastic band, pure cotton. They're soft. And I'm wearing an Eddie Bauer men's cotton t-shirt. That's <laughs> too big on me. And but you feel good. I feel comfortable. Yeah. Now, would I wear this out to, uh, you know, wherever, to visit people? No. No. But I do still find clothes that I can tolerate. And I try not to torture myself. I refuse to wear heels. I let go of that years ago, years ago. So was that a problem too? Even though you loved being in shoes, heels were uncomfortable? Well, they Uh, are uncomfortable. I I couldn't, even in my younger, younger years, in my 20s, before I knew anything about ADHD, I just was, uh, I did wear heels when I had to. And in those days, everybody wore heels. They even wore little heels to work, and I wore little heels to work. But once I learned about my ADHD and my sensitivities that go along with it, I said, what? You only live once. Why should I torture myself to fit in? And that's another thing. Women with ADHD often feel like they don't fit in. So if you have these sensory problems and you're trying to avoid certain things or wear certain kinds of clothes or don't eat the same food that your friends are eating at a party or at a restaurant, there you go again, feeling, oh, I'm different. I'm different. Something's wrong with me. So it takes a lot of work. I'm already done with that. I've worked hard on myself. Like I said, my diagnosis was a relief. I didn't have some of the problems that the women I work with have where all of my self-esteem was wrapped up in 
how my house looks or how do my kids look? Yeah. To a degree it was, it took a lot of work. I worked hard and it took a lot of years. I mean, I'm what, how many years post-diagnosis in my 25 years or something. So I've had a lot of time and because of the people I work with and that I know and the conferences I've gone to, the books I've read, the research, I'm just at the other side of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky. Not everybody's that lucky that I don't compare myself. But I will have to be honest with you and your 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 listeners. There are times where I feel really bad. Like, why can't I? Here's an example. It's really hard for me to put together a meal for my own family, let alone if people are in town, it's a holiday, and I'm supposed to be cooking for 12 people. And I write about this in my book. I, I felt horrible. Just horrible. Why is it that other people can do this every night? They cook dinner for their kids or family, and they pack a lot. Now, if you think about cooking dinner, it's not just the main meal. You're making three dinners, my friend. You're making the main dish. You're making a side (laughs) dish. You're making a vegetable. And you have to time it all. And you have to make sure you have what you need. And you have to plan. And these are all things that are not strengths for most women with ADHD. So I did get caught up in that. Like, why? Why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? But I, you know, I was on the dark side for many years. And then I crossed that dark side into, okay, I'm not going to torture myself and let my self-esteem drop because I am not good at this. Um, What I did is I worked around it and I also began to focus on my strengths. Yeah. There's so many so many things that you can do so much better than, frankly, anybody else. So, yeah. So I've never made a turkey in my life. <laughs> Thanksgiving comes around every year. And all these years, before I even knew I had 80s, I've never roasted a turkey. They, it just scares me. How do you do that? I don't get it. I don't care what this popper is. I don't know what, <laughs> does that pop, how do you know the popper has popped? Does it beep, beep, beep so you can hear it? And then and if you're upstairs, no, no. So I didn't want to, you know, take a chance and destroying a whole turkey. So I found workarounds and then I changed my way of seeing things. Okay, I can't make a turkey, but I can write a song. I can make a painting. Yeah. I could be a good listener. About the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so do you see these sensitivities that we're talking about? Do you see them more in ADHD people versus neurotypical people who don't absolutely. have ADHD? Absolutely. Ah. Now you and do what, see it. You do see it in highly, now there's highly sensitive people who do not have ADHD. And this is where right. it gets really tricky. We're mm-hmm. just sensitive souls. Or and we talked a little bit earlier about this, uh, people who come with a trauma background. Mm-hmm. You see these hypersensitivities. You see a startle response in women with AD, men and women, mainly women. You see it in ADHD. You see it in the highly sensitive and you see it in anxiety, people with mm-hmm. just plain old anxiety, and you can see people with a history of trauma. So it becomes very complex. Where's this coming from? But people who don't have any of those backgrounds, just neurotypical, there is no such thing as a normal person. You know, right. we all have something. But if they don't have any of those things, you don't see much of that. No. And then, you know, you begin, there we go, judging yourself. How come I'm the only one that jumps 10 feet? when I hear the door slam accidentally. (laughs) (laughs) So what about, what about ADHD women versus ADHD men? Do you see more hypersensitivities? Well, I know you do because you work with women, but just in your experience, is that something that's more ADHD women versus ADHD men? 
I do see it more in women, but you're right. I don't work as much with men. I do, but not as much. And I just don't hear the same kind of complaints from men. Now, is it because they don't want to look weak Mm. in the eyes of themselves and others? I know that if I were a guy or someone who favored neckties, that would make me insane. I could not deal with that. I don't even wear jewelry. I don't wear my wedding ring. The only thing I wear is a watch because I have to. Mm -hmm. And I wear sometimes little tiny posts in my ears, and that's another long story. I didn't do it for me. I did it for my daughter. (laughs) She wanted to, to get her ears pierced, and I went with her. But it seems like it's more of a women's thing. Why? I don't know. Is it hormonal? Is it that we are expected to look a certain way with certain kinds of clothes? Is it just being sensitive? And women generally, I can't say it across the board by any means, but are women just more sensitive uh, in general? Hmm. It's a, I certainly would like to see some research. I'd like to see a lot of research on this whole thing. Anything on women, right? Yeah. So, and then among the three types of ADHD, so, you know, women that are hyper, which I've never, I've never met anybody that was purely hyperactive. I understand there's an animal out there, but I haven't Mm -hmm. met them yet. So hyperactive, inattentive, or combined type, do you Mm -hmm. see hypersensitivities more in one type of ADHD than another, say? Yes, I do. I do see more hypersensitivity in the inattentive women because they tend to be more introverted more internalizing in how they experience themselves in the world. And I think when you're a a sensitive type like that, you're going to feel things more deeply. When you're very hyperactive and impulsive, you're kind of rushing through life and you may not pick up on some of these things. I'm not saying that that's not the case with everyone who who might be hyperactive, impulsive, or combined type. Because I do hear that, that uh, women who are hypered are very sensitive to certain things. But in general, it seems to be more, in my experience, the inattentive woman. And that makes so much sense because we're not in our bodies, right? If we're hyperactive, that's the problem. We're always like, you know, bouncing around. So why would you notice as much? No, they just have more bruises on them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. More runs to the ER. And then I'm wondering, among ADHD women with hypersensitivities, do you tend to see more of one type or another of comorbidity? Like, is there more anxiety? Is there more depression? Is there anything like that you've seen? Well, just going by, again, my experience, I see more anxiety. Because Mm. if you are bombarded with stimuli that you can't filter out or you can't manage, and this is happening all day, every day for the most part, What's that going to do to your nervous system? Yeah. It's going to just tear you apart. So I talk about, maybe you want to talk about this later, but what you can do about some of these things. But I see more anxiety. I see, you know, there's depression too, because then you you are avoiding. So if you have a hypersensitivity to, say, sound or visual things, you may not want to go to parties or go to the bar with your friends or wherever where there's going to be a lot of that kind of stimulation. So then what happens is you start, your world becomes smaller. You may lose friends, relationships, and that can cause depression. Makes so much sense. Totally makes sense. Okay, so that was the perfect segue to your next 
comment, what can we do about these? If we have certain hypersensitivities, are we just stuck or is there something that can be done? There are things that can be done. And if we go back to the whole hearing thing, people who are sensitive to loud noises, abrupt noises, like for me, one of the worst noises for me is when the summertime where I live, there's a lot of (laughs) people are very proud of their lawns out here and their gardens. They love it. So every day I hear the uh, the lawnmowers going. And of course, it's not manual. It's the big old machines that are so loud. And the uh, the weed whackers and the things, with, with, I don't even know, the trimmers. It is basically torture for me. And, and I live for the summer because I'm in Michigan. Our summers are very short. Mm. So one way you can get around things like that is simply obvious. You know, I'll wear headphones. I'll yeah, wear headphones when I'm out. I want to be outside, so I put those on. These aren't perfect solutions. They only help to a certain degree. So if I'm outside, that's what I'll do. If I go to a restaurant, I can't stand that there's TVs on. I can't stand that at the next table. There are a lot of people talking, some people talking too loud. So I will go in with the understanding that, okay, I'm going to be expect. Just like with the mall, you start going into these experiences with expectations Mm. Oh, this is going to be a difficult thing. And so you start thinking ahead. So if if a friend says to me, let's go out for lunch, I'll say, okay, where do you want to go? That can last 15 minutes. Where do you want to go? (laughs) (laughs) So you said that you're part Japanese, right? Mm -hmm. So I find that Asian restaurants tend to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, This could be a cultural thing. I don't know, because generally I see Americans where I live. So I will often suggest let's go to an Asian restaurant knowing that it'll be quiet. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't pipe in all that loud music, uh, pop music and all that sort of thing. I don't know what it is. So I will think ahead or I'll already know in my head a list of restaurants that are on the quiet side and recommend going to those restaurants. So it's being proactive. It's seeing the problem ahead of time. And I say it in my books and in my lectures, see it coming and have a plan. Ah. So for the restaurant thing, that's that's it. Now, if I'm at a party, which I detest most of the time, and I want to have a conversation with somebody, but I can't hear them because there's music in the background, people are dancing, people are in groups, I cannot filter out that noise. So what I'll say to this person is, and I don't reveal that I have ADHD most of the time. It's not always a good idea. So I may say to this person, you know, I'd really like to know more about you. You're telling me a very interesting story about whatever, your kids, your work. Mm -hmm. Can we go into a quieter area of this room or this house so I can give you my full attention? That's how I might deal with the social aspect of having audio sensitivity. I want to be able to hear what they're saying. So that's one way. Or you can say, can we go outside and talk? And uh, you'll find a a quieter spot, hopefully, outside if they don't have their lawnmowers going. Well, I'm assuming that if you don't do that, you're just going to completely disengage and be so furious that you're even there, right? Well, I call it the fake smile syndrome Uh. for women with ADHD and men too. You're you're pretending because you want to, you're trying to, you're pretending that you are hearing what they're saying, but you're not. And you smile and you nod. That can get uh, us into trouble when they ask you a question that's has something to do with what they just said, and then you have to say, um, "I'm sorry, can you can you say that again?" Totally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's well. Let me give you some more examples. So noise. We're going to, again with the whole noise thing. A white noise machine can be really helpful. 
there was a time where I had terrible insomnia. And, and that's another very common, you probably already know this, a common problem with women with ADHD is sleep issues. And I went through a really rough, rough, oh boy, at least three months of this. But this can help in a lot of ways is what I did. I tried the white noise machine. didn't really do the trick for me because it sounded too fake. Uh-huh. So what I did was I took my um, laptop and I put it next to the bed and I found streaming nature sounds, which you can find for free on YouTube. And there's even some websites that just cater to that. And that was not only something that could block out any kind of noise. My daughter was living at home. She happened to be, is very, very, very hyperactive and impulsive and doesn't have a whole lot of control over that. So this would block out her noise, but also it was nature. Nature calms us down. So I, I use that a lot at night. But it's not just um, things that we hear. So like for fabrics, I mentioned that I have to wear cotton. You can wear jersey. I have these sheets that I love that I get from Bed Bath & Beyond. They are called Modal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right. M-O-D-A-L. So it comes from a tree. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, pure cotton, and they're very, very soft, very, very gentle to the skin. And I buy those for my tactile sensitivity. Um, it's not worth spending, what is it, one-third of your life sleeping if you're going to be sleeping on torturous sheets. Yeah. So that's one thing that helps me. Um, I'm very sensitive to, like, in the winter when you're wearing sweaters and all that, uh, even if they're cotton sweaters, it might just irritate me a little too much. So I will tend to wear a little cotton t-shirt under most of my clothes, whether it can be seen or not. That is what feels the best against my skin. And again, I talk about wearing clothes a little too large. You can't always get away with that. A lot of women talk about seams in their socks and in their underwear. Mm. You can buy those now. Now, way back in the day, you couldn't find underwear without seams or T-shirts or blouses without tags, now you can. And there's a company called, oh, you might know this, Soft Surroundings. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah. Soft Surroundings, they will rate an item by how soft it is. So I think they go from one to three, and I forgot if one is the softest or three is the you softest. Know, Terry, I have seen that catalog for years, and I never knew that they actually rate the clothing. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't either. And and uh, yeah, so that's another option to look into their things. Gee, well, uh, I mean, I can just go on and on if you want to. <laughs> if I'm going to, you know, getting in too much, just stop me. Stop no. me. So the question I had, and you just sort of alluded to it, what was it like being a mom with these hypersensitivities and then having a daughter who's hyperactive impulsive? It was hell. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> because here's the thing. I've got two daughters and they're now young adults. So um, the younger one, and I won't get into because it it's too long of a story, but she did have um, a medical insult. It was a horrible illness, which caused her ADHD and caused her to have some other special needs. In the end, when she came through this horrible illness, she was so hyperactive, so impulsive, so loud that never went away. She's, you know, as an adult, mm-hmm. she doesn't know how to moderate her, the volume of her voice. And then my other daughter, who does not have ADHD was, as a child, extremely hyperactive, extremely impulsive. So I had two. I had (laughs) two, and they were fairly close in age, just over two years, two and a half years apart. And here I am, Miss Sensitivity. And in those days, 
it was like a criticism. Like, why are you so sensitive? Mm. You know, and you hear it now. Um, even when we understand people, whether they have ADHD or not, there's some sensitive people out there. And we get the criticism. Well, why can't you deal with it? Everybody else can deal with it. So having two kids and being a mom with hypersensitivities was, I'll be truthful, it was really hard. And so how did I get through that? I will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I brought in someone to help me when I could. Now, I was lucky in that I could afford to do this to some degree. I didn't have a nanny who lived in. I couldn't afford that. But there were days where I had someone come in like two half days a week so that I could recoup. I just had to... I didn't even go away. I would stay upstairs away from the kids in my bedroom and just get my, catch my breath. Are you also an introvert? I'm an introvert. Ah, so you wouldn't know because I'm, I'm I'm talking a lot. (laughs) I'm not generally a big talker, but when I'm on, you know, as a professional, yeah, I'll talk your ear off, but no, in my private life, I'm very introverted. I'm a listener. I listen to people and observe and feel. And, and being an introvert means you feel things very deeply, mm-hmm. which can make for, you know, if you're a psychotherapist or an artist or a musician or a dancer, whatever, those can be very helpful traits, but it can also be very painful, just like being a mom of two hyperactive kids. I don't know. I didn't know how I would get through those years, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know how I would do it. So I work a lot with moms because I understand. I understand how hard. And the guilt is huge. The guilt feelings like, why can't I sit down and play with my kids? Well, number one, my kids can't sit down. Number <laughs> two, if they do, they're, you know, they're overwhelming me. They're all over the place. Mom, my hyperactive, the, the ADHD daughter could not sit at a table without falling off of her chair. Oh. Truly, that's how severe her hyperactivity was. She couldn't, uh, we couldn't have a quiet dinner. And, you know, as a mom, you're supposed to, here we go with the shame thing, which I'm sure you've talked about in other sessions, the shame. Women are supposed to pull the family together at dinner time. How was your day, sweetheart? Ah, how was your day, honey? And... One's falling off of a chair. One's getting out of her chair because she can't sit still. There's a lot of chatter, chit, 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 chatter. And you just want a quiet dinner because then your stomach is turning and churning. Mm -hmm. And in in many cases, you become ill in some way, you know, ulcer, whatever. IBS is very common. And in moms with uh, ADHD who are inattentive, who have hyperactive kids or just they don't have to have ADHD. They can just be lively children. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the kids. They're kids. Right. But the sensitive woman with ADHD, that's a rough, a rough thing. Oh, and then I can't even imagine. See, I mean, I don't have a problem with this, but you have two hyperactive girls who probably have hyperactive friends because like attracts like. And yeah. I can't even imagine. No. <laughs> That must have just sent you over the deep end. The worst was their birthday party. Ah. <laughs> they wanted to go, you know, what is it called? The the skates with the one, the blade. What are those things called? The blade. Rollerblades? Blade. Rollerblades. The rollerblade parties. So imagine you're in an arena, not only with your kids and their friends and the pizza and all that. And then you've got those lights, those. Uh, oh, jeez. Oh, oh, the disco <laughs> lights are flashing. I thought in the noise, I thought I was going to have a seizure. <laughs> 
this it scared me. Oh, and I would say, please, you don't want that kind of party. How about if we go to a park? Yeah. Run around in the park. No, we want rollerblades. And bowling parties, same thing. Lots so, of noise. Lots hyperactive, of noise. hyperactive kids want uh, active parties. Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh, Terry. Well, you are such a wealth of knowledge. Before I let you go, thank you so much. Um, I would like to know, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Oh, that's a good question. I... Um, um, I have a website, I've got a couple websites, but I have this passion for helping women in a coaching arena where a lot of women come to me and say, I can't afford working one-on-one with a coach, but I need it desperately. So what I developed is something called group coaching, which a lot of coaches are aware of, ADD coaches and other coaches, but a lot of women with ADD are not aware of. So I have a program called Queens of Distraction at queensofdistraction.com where um, we work as a group. So I'm there and we have different things going on every day. Um, and I help women come up with plans like, what do you need to work on today? Uh, it's tax season, for instance. I cannot even think about looking for the papers I need to even get my taxes together. So we work as a group. And the other women in this group are so sensitive, very smart, very kind. And we work together as a team. So yeah, that's one thing that I've, I'm very, very interested in, hopeful that other women will know that that's out there. So give us the URL again. So that is queensofdistraction.com. And the other thing, my main site is addconsults.com, where women can actually, and men can actually work with me one-on-one as I don't do therapy online, but I do consultations. So if, if someone is after hearing this saying, Hmm, I wonder if I have ADHD or what's this all about? Can actually work with me on zoom or in email. A lot of people don't like the zoom thing and they can just uh, sign up for a consultation. And I have articles and blogs and a newsletter and all kinds of, I hope helpful resources. Oh, I'm sure it's helpful resources. So it's addconsults.com. Was yep. is that the second one? Okay. So we will have all of these links in the show notes. I just wanted to thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I just really appreciate you and what you've contributed here. So thank you. Well, thank you, Tracy, for having me. I hope I can come back, but it's just wonderful meeting with you after all these years. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Terry, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. That's my email. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. 
join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.